0: Hello, welcome back to A Drunk History of Middle-Earth. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm going to ever so slightly adjust my volume level. There we go. My name is Chris.
1: And my name's Rebecca.
0: And we are a married couple, and we talk about Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, everything to do with the world of Middle-Earth in a very easy, relaxed way to understand. There'll be some things, if you've only seen the films, you'll learn. And if you've only read the books, but you can't get through some of the denser parts, you'll also learn something. So that the point is... You come here, we talk about it like we're explaining it to you in a pub, and that's just how the fuck we roll. So, today we're going to talk about the Witch King of Angmar. What do you know about him?
1: He's a mad bastard.
0: He is a mad bastard.
1: Is he the one that's black with a spiky headdress? Well, it's part of his body, but
0: very spiky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one who Eowyn kills.
1: He rides on that Balrog
0: it's not a balrog is
1: it a fell beast a fell
0: beast yeah i'm glad you caught that one because that wouldn't have been very nice for you to fucking come all this way and then you're still calling a fell beast a balrog yes so we're going to talk about the witch king of angmar today we're going to talk uh, we're going to mainly talk about his history because there is a lot of history to do with the witch king of angmar he after doing this research and and, and i i had a bigger understanding than i thought because i was like oh yeah oh well, this is familiar but Seeing just how much he's involved with in the third age in particular is crazy. Like, there is a a whole kingdom, and and hence why he was called a king. Before that, right, before we talk about the big spooky lad, I do want to just make you aware of something. Uh, This is for the listeners, it's not for Rebecca. So, I want to put a call out and kindly ask for people's support, right? In September, I'm going to be running a half marathon for Guide Dogs UK, for a charity which allows people with visual impairments to receive trained canine companions. And I'm a big fat lad. And what I'm going to be doing between now and September is I like to run anyway, but I'm going to be suffering for charity, right? Is I'm going to be running 13.1 miles on the day from Newcastle to South Shields. And I'm going to ask for any donations. Now we don't monetize this podcast and I've got no immediate plans to monetize this podcast. So If you ever have, uh, and people have asked me, like, you know, like, have you got a coffee or a a, a buy me a coffee thing or whatever? No. But if you want to support me, in the link in this episode's description and in the bio on our Instagram page, there is a link to our link tree. And from there, you can see the fundraiser. Now, I've already had some very kind donations already, so... there are people out there who who want to support, and I'm very very thankful for that. So thank you for everyone who's supported me. But if you want to support the podcast, it's for a good cause. It's for charity, and you'll be making a tangible difference. The good thing about Just Giving is that every week the money goes to the charity, so it's nobody's holding on to it. It's Nobody's holding on to any money. It's as soon as you donate within a week, that is then with the charity. And if you are in the UK, can I ask that you do Gift Aid as well? And what Gift Aid is, if you're not aware, is that for every £1 you donate, the charity themselves can claim back 25 pence extra from the government. And considering that the government is full of rich cunts who are squeezing us to death at the moment, Gift
1: Aid the fuck out of this. Yeah,
0: Gift Aid the fuck out of it. Yeah, please. So it's a cause very close to my heart. I'm a big fat lad. I'm going to be I'm aiming to lose 10 kilos. Lows as well for it and, and improve my time, but uh, I'll be honest, I'll be happy with just not dying.
1: And as a previous employee,
0: yeah, becca used to work for the guide dogs.
1: So. I do know and value and can support the guide dogs fully in what they do and the mission and just from experience seeing everything that they do if only our little puppy was a guide dog because he'd be very well behaved and not scratting about on the floor right now but yeah it's a fantastic cause that really changes people's lives dramatically and hopefully it doesn't come to us but if it did it would it's so lovely that there's that support there for people in an unknown world
0: so i was watching a video the other day We'll, we'll get on to the episode in a minute. And I was watching a video the other day and someone had commented on the video saying that I don't understand why people wouldn't want more facilities and more services for disabled people because it's a demographic that you could join at any time. And the video was... Of, Our
1: world isn't accessible whatsoever. Well, well
0: there was the video I was watching was of adult-sized changing mats in toilets. And I never fucking considered that. And then I was reading the comments and people were saying, like, it's really embarrassing when I've got to change my adult daughter in the car or on the floor. And my heart, like, like, it was one of those times where my heart broke for something I had no concept was ever an issue. And and then I read the comment of, it's a demographic, you can join at any time. So my point being, I don't monetize this podcast. And if you ever do want to support us or you want to support charity, you want to do your good deed and then balance it out by kicking someone to death and, you know, come and donate to us. I've also started a new series on the Instagram as well, where I will, off the top of my head, after every run, I record a short video where I'll talk about talking. Like I'll just drop a small fact because Instagram reels are ninety seconds. You're so not going to
1: show your face, are you? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, oh, so, geez.
1: good luck, everyone. Fuck off.
0: So after every run, I've already, I've already done you it. You anyway. sweaty mess. Right after every run, I, I'll, I'll drop a little bit of talk and knowledge, and we'll, we'll have a little conversation. And it's just a way to to let people know that I am doing the training. And If you go to the Just given page as well. Every time I do a training run, Strava sinks it. So you, you'll you see about th- roughly three runs a week from me when I, while I'm training. But anyway, enough said. On with the show. So, the Witch King of Angmar. Pretty fucking scary dude, to be fair, you know. He's a, he's a bastard.
1: A mad bastard. He's
0: He's not a mad bastard. No, no, no. He is Sauron's most feared servant. And for good reason. One thing I want to cover off first that we're going before we get into this, and I am pleased I can use this knowledge because I I discovered it and I was talking about it months ago, and now I can really talk about it. So you hear that you hear Sauron referred to as the Necromancer, right? In the Hobbit, he's called the Necromancer. Yeah. But then I imagine that after you, when we we've done all our episodes about the Silmarillion and stuff, you've learned that spirits go to the Hall of Mandos when they die. Yeah. Uh, and or like elves are reincarnated, and you're like. Well, what the fuck? Because humans leave Arda entirely, they go to be with Eru Iluvatar, so their souls aren't kicking around. It turns out, and this is something that everybody has to understand before we move on with the show, right? We're going to talk magic and spirits and wights, or wraiths. When, when you die, some people, they can refuse the call of Mandos. They can refuse to go to the halls of Mandos. And if they do that, that in itself is a sign of essentially like badness or evilness, that you refuse that call to the afterlife and if you do that and you resist the summons to mandos then you become what's called houseless and when you are houseless you are doomed to wander you're doomed to wander yeah and there's some spirits that choose to wander because they're evil and they want to take over bodies and use them like possession exists in tolkien like like almost like demonic possession when we talk about sauron as a necromancer and the witch king as like a wraith and stuff like that I want anybody because some people might come into this episode and they'll have watched, they'll have listened to all previous episodes and be like, "Oh, well, hang on, Chris, you said that to go to the halls of Mandos and then like humans go beyond the circles of the world. It's all a choice." And I want to put this out there that Feanor didn't re- didn't resist the call of Mandos. He went, so he even he saw the wisdom in it because to the, to not go to the hall of Mandos leaves you open to people like Sauron or or Morgoth or the Witch King of Angmar. To use you for their own ends.
1: So, you're not saying that it's just people who predominantly already follow them people. It's just people who are just like crazy, just like, nah. Yeah. Don't fancy it. Yeah. Could be. But then that leads them to potential.
0: That leaves it to either product. You, you will wander the earth as a spirit or you will be used and subjugated by one of the big bads. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, not just men as well. Elves are subject to this. Like, elves did it. Particularly Nandor elves and Avari elves. Because I, I, there's, there's no reference, I don't think, to any high elves, like, i.e. the, the Calaquendi or anything. Like, elves Basically, elves who went to Aman or elves who went to Valinor. none of them are recorded as refusing a call to Mandos. Like, even Feanor went. Like, he went to Mandos and he'll be there till the end of time. But he still went because he knew the alternative was that Morgoth would make a very good meal of your soul. So I just wanted to, to to start on the footing because the first thing we're going to discuss is that the the Witch King of Angmar is a wraith. He is undead. He he is one of the spirits that has refused to call to Mandos, and because he's so subjugated by Sauron's will, and as are the other nine go, nine Nazgul, that they are stuck with no afterlife. Like they they exist in the unseen world. That's why they're invisible.
1: So is he the king of? So, are the Nazgul like the top tier and he's the king of the Nazgul and everything below it?
0: Well, he's a king because he had his own kingdom. But I'll, I'll come on to that okay. in a second.
1: Sorry, I'm jumping the gun.
0: Oh, no, no, it's fine, though, no, it's fine. Uh, so, it said, so Tolkien himself said, there was a, a essay I read called The Laws and Customs of the Eldar or Among the Eldar, or whatever. And it said, not all of these are kindly. Uh, so he's talking about spirits that refuse, like spirits that haunt the world. Not all of these are kindly or unstained by the shadow. Indeed, the refusal of the summons is in itself a sign of taint. It is therefore a foolish and perilous thing, besides de- being a wrong deed forbidden justly by the appointed rulers of Arda, if the living seek to commune with the unbodied, though the houseless, i.e. the spirits may desire it, especially the most unworthy among them. For the unbodied, spirits, wandering in the world are those who have at least refused the door of life and remain in regret and self-pity. Some are filled with bitterness, grievance, and envy. Some were enslaved by the Dark Lord and do his work still, though he himself is gone. They will not speak truth or wisdom. To call on them is folly. To attempt to master them and make them servants of one or one's own will is wickedness. So their Tolkien sets out that you can fuck with spirits, but it is a sign of evil. Like No good person messes with spirits. And I I mean, I suppose you could jump to that. You could jump to the the Catholic um idea of occultism being quite bad. You know? So I just wanted to to, to talk about that. And then there's also instances where they'll try and seek to possess a body. Sauron did this when he was creating werewolves, uh, where he, you know he took evil spirits and put them inside the body of the wolves that he'd bred. And then he also does the same thing when he he teaches his followers to to do similar types of, to, of magic. Uh, and then there's another quote that I wanted to get on, is that some say the houseless desire bodies, though they're not, weak, not willing to seek them lawfully by submission to the judgment of Mandos. So this is people who want to be reborn, but they're too evil. They know that Mandos won't let them. If they can, the peril of communing with them is therefore not only the peril of being deluded by fantasies of lies, there is peril also of destruction. For one of the hungry houseless, if it is admitted to the friendship of the living, May seek to eject the fae from the body, and in a contest for mastery, the mod the body may be gravely injured, even if he is not wrested from its rightful habitant. Or the houseless may plead for shelter, and if it is admitted, will then seek to enslave its host and use both his will and body for his own purposes. It's said that Sauron did these things and taught his followers how to achieve them. So I want you—that's what I wanted to to set out. And this seemed like the best place to do it. That the concept of what like necromancy and magic is in terms of like dark magic and dark lord stuff is that you're messing with evil spirit, an evil person messing with evil spirits. Any questions before we move on?
1: No, I did have some that popped up in my head, but I feel like they're going to be answered.
0: So, the Witch King of Angmar, who was he? We don't know. You don't. Not great. No, nobody great. knows. You okay. Don't... The thing about End the podcast. Yeah. I was just—I was saying to someone before we recorded that the thing I like about the Nazgul is that they exist. They seem to exist solely within the story. Like they are these terrifying servants of Sauron. They don't seem to be like super symbolic or like a real-world analog to much that I can think of. It's just kind of like these are good story devices, good characters, and good plot people in the story. And yeah, I like that. So the, the Witch King of Angmar was the leader of the Nazgul. He was the chief among Sauron's servants. So that would put him like third in line to Morgoth. So at Morgoth, Sauron, Witch King. And he was utterly terrifying to behold. Like one of their chief powers was inspiring terror through people. And they had like a the like the black breath, which would instill madness and eventually death in people. Like it'd make them super depressed. And he was also utterly a slave to Sauron's will. And he met his end at the same time. Uh, sorry, he met his end after fulfilling a prophecy and he was killed famously by Eowyn and Meriadoc Brandybuck. So he was a wraith and a wraith in Tolkien's world is a spirit that lives in the unseen world, that exists in the unseen world. So there's two worlds in Tolkien. There's the seen world and the unseen world, right? The seen world is the physical and the unseen world is, well, it, it's unseen. It's where like the spirits are, the Valar, and Maiar can choose to walk completely in the unseen world. The elves live half in the seen, half in the unseen, so that elves might have like a really bright presence in the unseen world, where like Glorfindel, for example, who we're going to talk about, he has a very, very big presence in the unseen world, but they're still not quite there because they're so closely... Elves are so closely tied with the world, the seen world, the physical world. And the wraiths... So whenever Frodo... So whenever anybody who's not Sauron, essentially, or, or like a Maiar or something puts on the ring, they are shifted into the unseen world. And that's shown in the films by like the... the like all the wavy shit. And that's what makes them look invisible is because they've shifted into the unseen world. And if you can't see the unseen world, to them, you, you, they've just gone invisible.
1: It all, almost reminds me of um, HP when the Death Eaters fizzle and move. Do you know what I mean? That black smoke
0: yeah that was weird that was just that's apparition but that's not how it works in the books at all
1: well that's what it what i imagine yeah it's just, just
0: go what peter jackson did in the films and you'll be all right so yeah so and everyone whenever like billboard frodo put on the ring they shift into the unseen world but people who can see in the unseen realm can still see them so like sauron i think the nazgul probably yeah the nazgul can and probably tom bombadil who it's a shame that you've not read the books because Tom Bombadil comes up a couple of times in this story
1: not read the books yet mm, maybe least yeah. before I die yeah
0: whatever so the Nazgul lived in the unseen world that, that is why if you took off their robes there'd be nothing there
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: you wouldn't you'd feel an invisible rod smack you in the chin if Ooh, you yeah. took their robes off <laughs> but yeah but which I wonder why like what's the point of them putting on the robes like, I'd have just kept my robes off and just be invisible everywhere like I I'd, would
1: just wander naked. Yeah,
0: just sneak. Like, imagine if you could have just snuck up on Frodo, invisible.
1: So the people. So this is a question. All of the people that live in the unseen world can they see each other in the unseen world? Yes. Oh. that see that makes it a bit different. But if no one could see you, even in the unseen world, I'd totally be going naked. Mm,
0: yeah, I suppose. Anyway, although I spo- like, I think the reason they might have the robes on.
1: It's because they've got massive dongs and they're very shy. No,
0: you see them slapping on their thighs as they walked. No, it's because like there were there were senior figures, like they were commanders in the army as well. So they will have had to be seen to, and they will have had to be seen to inspire be proper, yeah, to inspire their troops. I whether they're inspiring terror or hope, I don't know, but they are inspiring something with their troops. That's. A little bit, uh, like just to set up that they are wraiths. That's what wraiths are, and that's what it all works. Now, the the background in general, we have some kind of we can kind of guess a couple of things. But for instance, we don't know the names. We know one, one of the nine Nazgul.
1: Is that who, that white guy who rides out on a horse?
0: That's Gandalf.
1: No, the white guy with the massive teeth, and he's like, that's and he's the, like blind. That's
0: the mouth of Sauron, oh. who is. Not one of the Nazgul.
1: That's been a long time, that episode.
0: Because if he was one of the Nazgul, you wouldn't be able to see him.
1: I'll have to.
0: If you could describe his teeth, he's not a Nazgul.
1: But then how do we see this black guy?
0: Because they've got black robes on. Right, okay. Okay, yeah, I get it. Black robes. Filled with
1: emptiness.
0: Covering invisible bodies. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay.
1: So that does mean that he's got no clothes on in the other world. He's got a robe on. So he's got a robe on in the other world. And you can see his body and figure. But in our world, he's invisible. So he wears... He like goes to his little room and he goes into the wardrobe and he puts on his black hat and black I cape.
0: D- I don't know how clothes work. <laughs> I, I, unfo- Does he
1: have a royal dresser?
0: Unfortunately, you've come across one part that Tolkien didn't seem to write about which is how do clothes work in the spirit world
1: right well that's weak right because you know how I like supernatural things and documentaries and series this has always been a a big question of mine when werewolves change and then they come walking out of the bushes or out of the woods with clothes where your clothes have just ripped off when you've transformed so do you just plant clothes all around the edge of
0: forests. That entirely depends on your source for that. That that entirely depends on what part of fiction you're looking at for that because some do. Some wear stretchy pants or some wake up naked. like, Or some go, like they end up back at home
1: hmm.
0: at the end of the night. So
1: what happens to this guy?
0: He's invisible all the time. <laughs> I, look at me. Look at me. Rebecca, look at me. He is invisible. Say it after me. He is invisible.
1: He is invisible
0: all of the time
1: all of the time
0: okay that doesn't change
1: i'm just confused
0: there is two worlds the unseen and the seen.
1: so do you think when he goes to bed or he goes for like a soiree a private like shenanigan he takes off his black clothes so he's in private probably
0: i don't know okay fucking hell I'm I'm trying you to get
1: me head round it. I'm telling
0: you how little we know about these people in general. We don't know their name, and you're like, "Oh, well, what about his wardrobe? Did you think Tolkien was the fucking first person to do queer eye? He's probably that all he wrote about was the clothes?
1: He's probably the most stylish in the oh whole film. God. Film, to be honest.
0: Right, we don't know much. We don't know the Witch King's real name. There is one Nazgul who we do know the name of, and he's called Camul, and he's called the Shadow of the East. That's all we know, um, and Camul is the second in command to the Witch King. And as far as names and identities go, that's pretty much it. Camul was maybe an Easterling, but you know. Uh, and again, like like I said, it, I like that they exist. Solely, like they exist within the story for the story. They don't seem to be like representative of of anything.
1: And these are all different races. You can be any race, and you've changed into like a high commander. of... No, these are humans. All oh, the... right, okay. So that the Witch King was a human, went bad.
0: Yes, because he got one of the nine rings of power. Okay. So you know, three, uh, nine to the men who, above all else, uh, you know, above all else, desired power. Seven to the dwarf lords. Three to the elves. One for the Dark Lord. This is the one who got... The, these, the Nazgul are the ones who had the Nine Rings of Power. And they became utterly subservient to Sauron. So, it, we can make some educated guesses about the Witch King of Angmar. One of them being that he was probably one of the Black Numenoreans. And Black Numenorean means a man, a human from the Isle of Numenor, who worshipped Morgoth.
1: Were those the ones who came on the boat?
0: The Faithful... Uh, the Kingsmen, uh, the Faithful. Sorry, they were the ones who escaped. So that's like who Aragorn's descended from. Okay, but there were others who worshipped Morgoth, but were off the island at the time that the fall happened. They're called the Black Numenorians. So, like, they lived in places like Umbar, which is like the pirate, uh, pirate like base and stuff like that. Tolkien stated that three Black Numenorians became Nazgul. So the Witch King was probably one of these. We also know that the mouth of Sauron was probably a Black Numenorian as well, so that means at least four Black Numenorians were in the service of Sauron, which you know. So there is some pre- and the uh, the mouth of Sauron can't remember his own name; he's that old. And Sauron taught him like loads of magic and stuff like that. So there is precedence of Sauron taking human servants and teaching them things.
1: That makes them the weaker race, then. Why? Because you don't see any dwarf. Or elven people,
0: or hobbits. Yeah, yeah, fair do. Yeah, 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 fair, yeah fair. It yeah, With the rings of power, it said that the dwarves, dwarves don't bend to other people's wills. Yeah, they just went insane Very and greedy. And yeah, and they yeah, they went insane and greedy. And the elves took their rings off as soon as they realized what was happening and hid them, so like they were never going to be
1: have great corrupted. introspection.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the, there's also I couldn't I couldn't find much of this, but I wanted to mention it. There's some speculation that he might have been a prince of Numenor from the line of Elros, called Isilmo, who, he wasn't king himself, his sister was the queen, but he died and the queen didn't have any kids, so his son became king. But I could not find where the fuck that speculation came from. So I'm just mentioning it here in case someone's listening and be like, oh, yeah, I know that. Uh, let me know if you know why. That the speculation that the the Witch King of Angmar is... That a, was
1: one of my sleepless nights.
0: It's someone called Isilmo, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, as I mentioned, the Nazgul wield the Nine Rings. As the Witch King is a wielder of one of the Nine Rings, he became utterly subservient. Now, an important thing to note about the Nine Rings of Power for Men is that they were given... They weren't given... Like, not all of the Nazgul might have been evil at the start. It's regardless of how good or evil you were, they are now utterly subservient to Sauron. So they're just, they're evil by extension. Like they cannot resist his will. And he gave them to nine great, nine men, so that they became great in their own times, like power and wealth. And then over the time, like they got the unnatural long life, like not true immortality, But like just extending your essence, like like Bilbo says, like butter script over too much bread. They got the power and glory and all that, but at the same time, they became more and more subservient to Sauron's will, so when he dominated them that they couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. And he would have received this ring from Sauron sometime after Sauron attacked Aregion, which was an old Elvish kingdom in the second age. And when he because that's when the Great Rings were forged. And when he killed Celebrimbor, because the elves, the elf smiths under the tutelage of Sauron, forged the rings of power uh, on like nineteen of them, and it will have been at af- some point after this, because he didn't have the rings in his possession beforehand, that he would have given them him. And another note is that there's only certain types of animals that will bear to bear them, because like they're they're ghosts essentially, like they're wraiths. And the what the black horses you see are stolen from Rohan and specifically like trained. For the Nazgul. And I just wanted to slot that in. But the ring gave them... So when the men got the... Witch King got his ring and the other A got theirs. It would give them the power of invisibility at first. Because eventually it would just take them into the wraith world anyway. Uh, Unnaturally long lives, like I mentioned. Bring them power and riches. And then also be dominated by Sauron. There's some back and forth. Which I think this is pretty fucking cruel, right? Apparently Sauron... Had the rings in his possession, so he once they were utterly dominated by the rings, he took them back off him and kept them, which must have must have been some kind of torture, if they were that dependent on them. So like, it's just been a pure cunt there. I think
1: he's like waving the crack in front of the faces of
0: yeah yeah the addicted. It, it's just pretty shitty, that isn't it? Yeah. Are you ready to hear about some history of the Witch King?
1: Yes, I feel like this episode. I know you've said that. You don't have loads of information about it, but I feel like it's making my mind tick in different directions, which we would never cover on the podcast. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow. So does that mean this? And yeah, very interesting because we don't have the information.
0: So we don't have much information about him as a person, right? Or his identity, there is a lot of history in this episode, though.
1: I think that's maybe why I'm enjoying it.
0: There is a, there is a lot of like descriptions of battles and stuff like that, and, and like political manoeuvrings.
1: So you're not going to pull out the language later?
0: There's not that much language in this episode. Foo! Um, yeah. So anyway, Ang- uh, the, the kingdom of Angmar, which the, the etymology behind it is quite interesting, is that Angmar means iron home. And I'm aware of the first thing I've just said after I said there's not much language is tell you about the language, but no, there's not much. So Angmar means iron home. So Angban, ang-ban means is iron Iron health. sex. Uh, ang- fuck off, Angband. <laughs> Stop it. Angband means iron hells. And the chain that Melkor is wrapped up with when he gets arrested by the Valor is Angainor which I can't remember what it means, but <laughs> it's iron something.
1: An iron gynecology appointment.
0: Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Iron Heart, Angina. <laughs> right, so the Kingdom of Angmar was established in the year 1300 of the Third Age, or around then, and its capital was a place called Kharn Doom. It lay in the far north of the Misty Mountains. Now, if you look at our map there, can you see Right at the top of the Misty Mountains, where it kind of bends back a little towards the west. Yes. That's where it is. And it's far to the northeast of the Shire. And it's like I've mentioned, right at the top where the mountains bend slightly to the west. Because this is a. a there's two little spurs of mountains the Angmar Mountains and there's the Etinmuas, like which the right at the top of the Misty Mountains, right? So this, and it existed between these two places, is where Angmar was. And the Etinmoors is. It's quite an unusual place, but it's called. It just means high barren land, and it's notable as being a land as where like a lot of trolls congregated. Like it's to the point where it's called like the Troll Fells, nice, which is pretty interesting. Aragorn calls it the Troll Fells, and and I think I I thought there was reference to it in the Hobbit about like the trolls wandering down out of the Ettenmores, but I think it's only in Lord of the Rings. But uh, I think in the Hobbit films, they might say like they wandered down out of the moors. Fuck knows. So the kingdom was established after Sauron became stronger again in the Third Age. So as a quick recap for Sauron. First Age, Servant of Morgoth. End of the First Age says, I am so sorry, Valar. To, he say, well, he says it to Aeonwe, who's the, the greatest of the Maya. Aeonwe says, I don't have the power to pardon or punish you. Go back to Valinor and Throw yourself out there. Mercy. He says... Nah. Hides. Second age. Starts to rethink the Valar of abandoned Middle-earth. So he starts to do what he wants. Eventually he get, he falls foul of Numenor. Becomes advisor at the king. Is responsible for Numenor's downfall. Is destroyed in the downfall. And fucks off back to Middle-earth with the ring. After causing the downfall of Numenor. Sauron, the bastard. Third age starts to gather his strength again because now he can't ever take on fair form again. So in the second age as well like um after, like before the downfall of Númenor, he was responsible for the rings of power being forged and he tried to he tried to deceive the elves of Eregion, so like Celebrimbor, Galadriel, Galadriel saw him for what he was and was like get to fuck Gilgalad and Celebrimbor. Ooh. I know Celebrimbor and the smiths of the 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 Mirodyne who were Like the smiths of Aregion, they loved him. He taught them how to do the rings of power. Not sure how Gilgalad felt about him, but I know Galadriel was like, No, because he told them he was like an emissary of the Valar and they believed him. Some of them believed him, Galadriel didn't, though. Anyway, so by the third age, this now he's, he's the War of the Last Alliance, right at the end of the second age, where Alendil, Gilgalad die fighting Sauron, Baradur gets fucked up again. It gets fucked up, sorry. Mordor gets fucked up and there's peace for a bit. But now we're back again where he's starting to get stronger again. 1300 years into the third age of Middle Earth. So the Witch King comes north because he wants to wipe out the Dunadine. And do you remember who the Dunadine are?
1: I do not, don't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. you, do not, you don't remember. I
1: do not, don't. I actually can't. Recall, apologies.
0: The Dúnedain are the people who Aragorn belongs to. It's Men of the West.
1: Okay, yeah. thanks for clearing that up.
0: Yeah. So the Dúnedain—these are all the people who escaped. These are the faithful who escaped Numenor during the downfall. Maybe- Can you
1: not be serious for one second and just <laughs> tell everyone how good that joke no, it was? That was? No, was
0: a really good joke. It was really—you didn't
1: joke. even flinch.
0: I didn't. You just went. <laughs> I thought
1: I I was quite funny.
0: funny. No, it's really funny. I can't. this
1: fucking weak. Yeah. Just bear with us as Christopher opens his. Oh my god. Local beer.
0: Fucking made by a local idiot. Right.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Sorry for that, folks.
0: Right. Yeah, they're doing a dime. Good joke. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what you're making me think of? Do you know Tubbs from League of Gentlemen? Yeah, <laughs> I, I can. I, can, I, I, can, I, can, can, I can't. <laughs> can I have a can of Coke? I can. I can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going for. Right. I so, do. I don't.
0: The Dunedain are the men of the West. It's the it's Elendil, Isildur, etc. etc. They came over from Numenor. They built the kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. Right. The important thing here. Oops. The important thing here is that Gondor is the southern kingdom. Arnor is the North Kingdom. Now, what's happened, though, since the War of Last Alliance, which is 1,300 years, Isildur's been dead for like 1,300 years, right? When the ring was lost. There were multiple kings of Gondor, multiple kings of Arno, and it essentially became two kingdoms, right? And it's not reunited until Aragorn, so we've still got a long way to go. But the reason that the Witch King came north is because... After the death of the 10th king of Arnor, who was called Earendu, 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 after the, the death of the 10th king of Arno, he had three sons. And lo and behold, they all started fighting over inheritance. So the kingdom of Arno was split into three separate kingdoms. These kingdoms became known as Arthenine, Cardalan, and, Rudaur, and or Ruthaur. And that splintered it. Sauron would have saw, this is a chance. Right? Sent his Witch King, go and do something. So he settled what would become known as the Kingdom of Angmar. And this is where he started bringing a lot of bad people to him, like orcs, evil men, trolls, wargs. He started building a force, and this is a kingdom. And it's said that the that nobody knew that he was a wraith and nobody knew he was a Nazgul. They just thought that some bad guys settle in a kingdom, but the land's big enough that everybody could. And these these three kingdoms. What made it worse in the third year, the thirteen yeah, hundred of the third age, is that they they all argued a lot. So they, they they all argued a lot because their borders of their kingdom all met at Weathertop. Do you know where they are in Fellowship when they're? They're having the fire and the Nazgul attack them. And Weathertop used to be... It's called Amon Sul. And it used to hold a Palantir. And it was one of the most important places in that part of the world, right? And the, the borders of the kingdoms all met here. So they used to bicker and fight over them all the time. And it was that that he wanted to capitalise on. Like the Witch King wanted to get in there. So, and, and like I mentioned, Arnor wouldn't be reunited again till Aragorn. And so it was a perfect time to strike. So he acted just like Sauron. Which I think is, it's like a bit of a one-trick pony. He just sent spies in. to like, he sent spies everywhere. Like, Morgoth did it, Sauron did it. He sent spies everywhere. And they were particularly successful in the smallest of the three kingdoms, which was Ruthauer. And this culminated in the, so, 109 years later. This all takes place over a long period of time, by the way, right? So, in the year 1409 of the Third Age, Ruthauer was taken over by a coup. Of loyal, like men loyal to the Witch King, so one of the three kingdoms was taken out of commission, and the whole point of all of this was to to kill the Duna Dine, was to destroy them, and then at the same time, Cardolan was ravaged, was, and the last prince I think was killed as well. So in one pretty much fell swoop, you've took out two or three two of the three kingdoms. Arthur is the biggest one, but it's still pretty fucked up. So Cardolan's raised. Ruth hours switch sides or like saying neutral, locked up in his own battles, blah, blah, blah. But the Palantir, so they all start, they're all fighting over Weathertop. Like that's where one of the the princes is killed, and it's like the big battle is at Weathertop. And this is where Weathertop gets raised. So when we see it as a ruin, it was ruined in this battle. And the Palantir is saved and removed to the capital of Arthadyne, which is a place called Fornost. But things are looking very, very bleak for like the humans, essentially. So the Witch King presses on, presses his advantage, and he, as he was a, he was a good strategist, like he was a great strategist, and he lays siege to Fornost, and things are looking very fucking grim here. Like, it looks like this is the last kingdom in the last city of the north holding out. But someone's, uh, one of the the leader of Arthodyne, he dies in that battle at Athramon And his son comes to power. And his son is only 18-year-old and he's called Arifor. And what he does to avenge his dad, Arvaleg, is he pushes back with the help of Cierdan the Shipwright, who you'll remember from our Teleri episodes. So Kierdan mm-hmm. uh, and like other elves we've mentioned, they get a good reckoning over these spans of years. Like, these are these, this this is where they're doing really good shit. So, Cairdan, with the help of Cairdan, of starts to push back the Witch King. They're then bolstered by reinforcements with Elrond, leading an army of elves from Rivendell and Lothlorien.
1: Ah, no, you didn't expect that, did yeah. you? <laughs>
0: so, that means that the, the Witch King, he's pushed back and he's defeated, but he's not killed. Not yet. So, that's in the year 1409 of the Third Age. So, we're still about 200 years from the Shire being settled. But uh, we've already had, like... So he's made one attempt to destroy the Kingdom of Men in the north, which would significantly weaken any help going to the south, which would ultimately help Sauron, because at this point Sauron fucking hates humans, right? So he went back to Angmar, sulgan And it's about this time as well that... Uh, you You might remember this from our Hobbit episode. The Steward Hobbits, they fled. And what well, I mentioned in, in our episode, that they fled the kingdom like the Witch King of Angmar because he was around that area and it was at this point so this is where the, stu- uh, the stewards some of them go back over the Misty Mountains some of them go like towards the Shire the ones that go over the Misty Mountains they settle the Gladden Fields and they are the ancestors of Gollum that's, ah. that's those hobbits and it was because they were escaping the Witch King nice nice
1: little full circle moment is that nice beer
0: yeah, it is. It's uh, Tyneside it's Brown. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the Hadrian Border Brewery. Is that the one near uh, Sycamore Gap?
1: Possibly. Mm. Anyway, yeah.
0: so that was the year 1409. And then there's a gap of a couple of hundred years, right? And in that time, there was a great plague in the year 1636. And it was swept across the whole land coming from the east. And it said that it was from Sauron. Uh, but it is uh, it's one of those historical events that would need its own episodes to talk about the great plague of middle Earth, unfortunately. but it was a lot of people suffered like really badly for it. The Shire really suffered at the hands of um, at, at the hands of this plague. But by the time it made it to arthodyne, it wasn't actually that bad because it started to die out. But as I was researching it, I was like, oh wow, wonder what it's like to be minding your own business and then get hit by a fucking plague out of nowhere. No. Sarcasm
1: <laughs> <laughs> The best years of my life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Tough>. <laughs> right. So it's during this time, like around the 1600s that the last dunadine in Cardolan died, and it said he was like um he, he was the the dunadine were hunted down by the sorcerers working for the witch king. but it's about this time that the Barrow whites take up residence in the Barrow Downs and if you haven't read the books, it will be a bit unfamiliar to you, but the Barrow Whites really fuck up Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin's day on the 28th of September in the year 3018 of the Third Age because they leave Tom Bombadil in the Old Forest and they almost immediately walk into a grave. Like a, they get trapped by evil spirits in a, in a grave and they're going to kill them until Tom Bombadil rescues them. And the Barrow Whites were inhabited in the Barrow of one of the last princes of Cardolan. So it's from this war with Angmar that directly impacts Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin. And Tom Bombadil rescues them, blah, blah, blah. But it's from this that he also gives them blades that were specifically designed to fight the Witch King of Angmar.
1: Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah?
0: Yeah. So...
1: Another full circle moment.
0: in it? It's also... In some right, this is interesting because I again I couldn't get a proper reference to it. There is a manuscript out there, an alternate version of some parts of Fellowship of the Ring, and in this rare manuscript, that's it belongs to a museum somewhere, right? Apparently, it details the Witch King coming, setting a trap for Frodo there by spending three days in the Barrow Down, stirring up the evil spirits, and like having a fight with some rangers of the North, like killing them either to fuel the spell or just because like they're trying to protect against evil shit. But I couldn't find the exact source. But there is some alternate versions of the story where the Barrow Whites kidnapping them is because of the, the Witch King doing like, Witch King stuff. And the, there's a note from Unfinished Tales which says, In notes on the movements of the Black Riders at that time, it is said that the Black Captain, i.e. the Witch King, stayed there for some days, and the Barrow Whites were roused, and all things of evil spirit, hostile to elves and men, were on the watch with malice in the old forest and on the Barrow Downs. So, that's just a, a little aside that there is some versions where the Barrow Whites are because of the, the Witch King. So, yeah, interesting. So then, we, the next we next we see of the actual, going back to the, to the timeline, the next we see of the Witch King is about 500 years later, in 1974 of the Third Age where he attacks Arthodyne again. So he attacks Fornost. And this time he's successful. It falls. And he lives there for a bit. He lives at Fornost. Which is pretty fucking cheeky. But he does what Morgoth did. He gets overconfident and overextends himself. Help was sent for by... Like the the, the people in, in Fornost before the Witch King won, they sent requests to the elves, to Gondor, helbers, blah blah blah. And they came too late to save Fornost, but they did come. And the Witch King, instead of sitting behind all the fortifications that he has knowledge of because he's laid siege he's laid siege to the city and now he's on the inside of it, he decides to press the attack. So he goes out to attack the people who have come to help the north. And these are uh Gondor. Like a, a a massive fleet from Gondor comes, like as much as they could spare. Elves, led by Glorfindel, I think. Yeah, the men were led by Iano, who would become Iano, who would become the last king of Gondor until Aragorn. And then oh Kiordan summoned everyone that would come. So, you know, Elves, men. And even the Hobbits. They send a company of archers, and this is mentioned, I think, right in the beginning of Lord of the Rings.
1: Never expected archers, archery to be part of, Hobbit's little bag of tricks.
0: They are uncanny marksmen. It's said in the books that... It's
1: because it's for food?
0: Yeah, well, no. It's said said in the books that all the animals in the Shire, like foxes and that, who would bother your crops and stuff, They've learned to get outside quickly if yeah. they see a hobbits. Stupid. That's what I
1: mean. It's it's all, yeah. it's all to protect their crops and.
0: But yeah, th- there is a throwaway line where it says that if if you ask, like in their history of the Shire, they did say that once they sent a company of archers to go and fight in a war, but they never, came, none of them ever came back, which is a shame. So yeah, it was at this fight for in Fornos, like one of the last fights, that Cirdan summoned everyone who would come. Eano, the last king of Gondor, the hobbits, and some elves. The Witch King was overconfident. He pressed his attack. And there was a battle on the plain between Nenuyal, which means Lake of Twilight in Sindarin, or in the common tongue, Westron, it was called Lake Evendim. And this was a massive lake. It was fucking huge. It was 100 miles north of the Shire. And this is where the last battle took place. And the result is the Witch King gets fucked. So he goes out to attack instead of allowing them to lay siege, which he might have been able to turn around and win. He thought, "No, I can do this." So he goes out to a, he goes out and he sends out his armies and, and what have you. And he realizes he's getting absolutely slammed, so he tries to retreat. But when he tries to retreat, Aiano and his horsemen from Gondor cut him off. So it then turns into like a rout, like it goes from a retreat and, and like a defeat into. Everyone's getting fucking killed. So in the last act of desperation, the Witch King himself comes out to fight. And he goes to fight Eäno and kill him. But Eäno's horse bolts because he's so scared, the horse. And the Witch King laughs because he's like, ah, oh, you're a fanny, you're running away, blah, 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 blah. And he goes to pursue him. But then Glorfindel, the best, one of the best elves to have ever lived, he died in the first age at the Fall of Gondolin fighting a fucking Balrog when he was helping the survivors escape. And because he's such a good dude, he's an old as well. He gets, he's in Mandos for a very short time, gets re-embodied and then gets sent back to Middle-earth in the second age. So he's a, he's a good dude. And it's only because it, because Glorfindel's there that the witch king flees and Aearno goes to chase him. And Aearno say, uh, sorry, Glorfindel says that like, he makes like a famous prophecy, which will become be fulfilled later. So Iano goes to chase him but Glorfendel stays him and says he will not return to this land. Far off yet is his doom, and not by the hand of man will he fall which is what we call in the business foreshadowing.
1: Yeah, I think that's really really nice of him to do that, because it makes that guy's plans like he's like, Yeah, okay. I can chill now. <laughs> I know why it's not me. <laughs> I can rest.
0: Yeah, except, it, it, hold that thought.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: so the Witch King fled back to Mordor, right? This, he's gone from the north now. Like, this was a, a decisive victory for, well, it was a decisive victory in name, but the, the fact is that the Kingdom of the North has fell now. There's no more Arno for a, a long time now. And we see a, a see a steady decline. So the Witch King flees back to Mordor. This is in 1974 of the Third Age, not our age. And gathers the other eight Nazgul. So by the uh, and he gathers them to him by the year uh, 1980 of the Third Age. So then Ang- Angmar and Khan Doom are now just like lost slash abandoned. The good people, the good guys, don't want to go near it. The bad guys dare not like they've lost it. It's not strategic anymore. It's not strategic anymore. So in the year 2000 of the Third Age, so we're, we're still 1,019 years away from the ring being destroyed at this point, remember. So in the year 2000, the Nazgul lay siege to a city called Minasithil. And do you remember from the films, that big the big city where all the army comes out of and it shoots green up into the sky? Yeah. That's Minasithil. So pretty. Yeah, that, well, it's called corpse light, that colour. <laughs> I min-
1: just found like it. One fine day in the Emerald City.
0: Is that from Wicked? Yeah. I saw a trailer for that the other day and it looked shit.
1: It'll be really shit, but yeah. the musical's banging. Yeah. I've seen it like four times. You know not what? on my own choice because I like to see different things, but when you're at school, they just always do school trips to see Wicked. Anyway.
0: Lame yeah. is ruined me because that's a good film and a good stage show. Like, it's a, fa- it's a fucking fantastic stage Sweeney show. Todd's a oh, yeah, Sweeney Chodzu. Oh, yes. Good Todd's
1: film movie. and a good stage show.
0: I've not seen Grease on stage. I expect good
1: things. Have, you haven't seen Sweeney Todd either, but oh, yeah. it's good.
0: I saw the. You've op- not
1: seen a lot of things on stage, Christopher.
0: I saw the Office U.S. do a rendition of Sweeney. Right. Anyway, we're, right. In the year two thousand of the Third Age, the Nazgul laid siege to Minasithil, and Minasithil. I need to lay it like just to lay it out for you. Right. See here on our map of Middle Earth, our Jeff Murray app, uh, Jeff Murray map.
1: Yeah, beautiful.
0: Yeah. So. Oh, he's got one called At the Movies, actually his art that I really want. It, it's it's like it's from like the seventies up till now, like all the movie icons and are all sat in a theatre together. Mm. It's
1: unbelievable. Do you know what I'd like to do? Um, a horror
0: one. Yeah, well, like Freddy and Jason and all that are in there. Yeah, I'll show you it later. Anyway, right, so you've got Minas Tirith there, right? Yeah. Uh but if you imagine there's like a line. So you've got Minas Tirith and then up to the Black Gates. Somewhere in the middle you'd have Osgiliath. And then after that, you've got Minasithil, which sits up against like the western. Oh, you can see it there. So can you see where you've got Minas Tirith, right? Yeah. Then just directly in a line next to it, you've got all those dots crossing the river. Yeah. That's that's Osgiliath. All oh, right. Okay. Then directly across from that, again, you see the last city in the mountains. Yeah. That's Minasithil. They were all three Gondor's cities, and Minasithil means Tower of the Moon, and it's the twin city of Minas Tirith and, and Osgiliath sat in the middle because Osgiliath used to be the capital of Gondor until, well, we'll come on to it. It was captured after two years was Minas Ithil and it became Minas Morgul, which is what ah, we know as yeah. in the films, yeah. which means Tower of Sorcery. And this fucked up the surrounding land and it put like an aura of fear into the world. Like it just, it made the country bad. Like it made it bad, bad. If that makes sense, like a bit Lovecraftian, and like the land itself went bad, just like how Morgoth tainted Arda.
1: I feel like there's more of a theme of badness from magic than there is goodness in Tolkien. That's but that might yeah. be because of him being a Catholic.
0: That's interesting because, and I wonder as well because Galadriel, when Sam says, "I'd like to see some more of the Elvish magic," or "I like your Elvish magic," Galadriel's like, "I wouldn't call it magic; I just call it art." Yeah. So like, she refutes it as magic, but we do know that the Catholics weren't a big fan of like occultism and that, were they? so. Well, probably yeah. Still I, not. Feel
1: like, oh, I feel like I feel like the magic theme runs harder through the dark powers and the dark forces than it does through yeah. normal life.
0: Well, necromancy is is seen as like madness. I've got to say, like, there's in the the fellowship Discord, I. Have a, a shorthand saying where like, I can't be asked to explain myself. I'll just put A B C. Always blame Catholicism, <laughs> and I just type A B C at the end of a message. Like
1: I feel like we need to remember this this bit.
0: Yeah, that's no, good. That, yeah, good about good support. magic. Yeah, good spot. Yeah. So Minas Morgul becomes a tower of sorcery, and it fucks up the land, right? And so they've lost Gondor. Have lost like a third of their cities, essentially. That's not good. And well, you don't count like Dol Amroth, I guess, which is. Another thing entirely. Anyway, in the year 2043, eano who we remember from the battle at Fornost, he ascends to the throne because he was a prince when he came to the rescue and tried to fight the Witch King, but now he becomes the king, right? He becomes the 33rd King of Gondor. That year, the Witch King sends him a message saying, come and fight me, you big pussy. eano goes and says, will." then, takes his top off. Goes to fight him. But it's only the steward, the king's steward, Mardil, who can stop him from accepting it. Seven years later, the challenge is issued again. And this time, nobody can stop him. So Ayano takes a small group of lads and they ride to Minas Morgul. Surprise, surprise. They're n- s- surprise, surprise. They're never, fucking, <laughs> they're never fucking seen again. Ever. And that. So this is the year 2043 of the Third Age. That is the last king of Gondor until Aragorn. This is the time where the stewards begin to rule Gondor because the last king was a fucking moron who couldn't...
1: So there's nothing really, like, there's no competition. You can do...
0: The line's broken. Yeah. The line's lost. There wasn't really a fight. He dragged them in, tortured them to fuck. (laughs) He might become a fucking Nazgul. We don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like He's gone he's got what a fucking idiot my god anyway it goes a bit quiet for the next thousand years right except 400 years later in 2475 the witch king invades and captures Osgiliath so that's two out of three cities now and because he's been building these armies of like orcs and trolls and blah 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 they eventually get driven out by the stewards at the time called Boromir Boromir the first the Boromir we know as Boromir the second yeah And we're 600 years too early for Sean Bean. But this Boromir is our Boromir's namesake because he's a mighty captain, he's a mighty warrior. Is he He, sexy? Yes. Even the Witch King fears him, like he's that good of a captain. Because
1: he's that sexy.
0: So he, he drives the Witch King out of Osgiliath, but he's one of the shortest ruling stewards because he suffers a Morgul wound. Same as what Frodo does. Do you know Ah, when he gets stabbed?
1: Yeah, and they go into kind of a fever.
0: So he gets the... Yeah, he he dies. He dies. And he rules for... He only rules for 12 years. But he made enough of an impression that he made the Witch King fear him and he drove him out from Osgiliath. But he still... He still died, like... But fair dues, right? So then... Worth it. Yeah. Uh, Osgiliath is abandoned by the Witch King but the area is still proper fucked up because by this point, Osgiliath... Is ruins. It's in ruins. Like they've wrecked it. And it would be retaken by the enemy, like by the Witch King again in the year 3018 of the Third Age. That is the year of Lord of the Rings, right? 3018, and 3019. But the important part is this all happens off screen. We don't see them take Osgiliath again in the 3018. But that is regarded as the the beginning of the war of the ring so while frodo so this is june right frodo doesn't leave the shire until september so in the june of that year while frodo and sam are still fucking around going to the green dragon and that <laughs> Osgiliath giliath is being taken and that's why boromir sets out after his dream to settle to find rivendell
1: yeah all i can hear is them um, because i've been to the year 3019 nothing's changed
0: right stop please please stop who sings that?
1: Is Busted. It...
0: Yeah, let's keep it that way. Ah. Do you
1: not... <laughs> did you not hear that? Because I totally did. Nothing's changed, but as giliath has stop been it. taken.
0: Stop, please. Stop, 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 stop. Right, so we go back a little bit in time. So, 2951 of the Third Age. Mm-hmm. This is when Sauron declares himself again. He sends three Nazgul. So, this is just after the events of The Hobbit ish, right? He sends three Nazgul to Dol Guldur in Mirkwood, which is where his old kind of like place was. And by happenstance, that's where they capture Gollum and they learn like Shire baggins blah blah blah. Yeah. But it appears there was some confusion about what the Nazgûl learn here because they think the Shire is actually where Gollum comes from, which is the Gladden Fields. So that costs them a lot of time in finding the Shire. Well, like fucking sixty years, Jesus Christ! So uh, a lot of the, but now that we have get to this point in time, a lot of it is now spent looking for the ring for the Witch King. He he's out and about, and ju- he's just missing the important events. Like he arrives at Isengard too late to stop Gandalf escaping. After he goes there to consult with Saruman, he gets like he, he arrives too just too late to prevent Frodo from escaping his house.
1: Is it fate?
0: Probably, yeah. You could, well, not quite you catastrophe, but maybe it's fate, yeah. They, they arrive just too late to stop Frodo escaping from the Shire. So one of the big parts they do around this time is they focus on Gandalf and Weathertop. like Follow Gandalf, watch Weathertop, because they know that... Well, Weathertop being a watchtower, and he, he knows that land really fucking well, because he was fought up there, that he knows that they'll be along at some point. And he's right. At Weathertop, they fight Gandalf at one point, and then a, a few days later, they also attack and stab Frodo, like the Witch-King stabs Frodo. And then there's other things that are doing as well, like um, they 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 run upon Grima Wormtongue, the Witch-King. He interrogates him about everything that's going on, and Grima just spills all of the beans. And the Witch-King decides to about Saro, uh, Saruman being a traitor and what have you and what he's trying to do. And the Witch-King lets Grima Wormtongue live because he has some kind of premonition that this would be the downfall of Saruman. And he's right, because he does kill him. They also got a lucky break here when they captured one of Saruman's spies and they found maps of the Shire which give them what they want. Um, but So they know how to find the Shire now. And they then met resistance as the Rangers of the North like fought to stop them getting into the Shire. It, it didn't go well for the Rangers. But yeah, we're right into the, the War of the Ring now. So after Frodo gets stabbed at Weathertop, there's then like that desperate flight towards Rivendell when Aragorn realises he can't heal him. And they meet up with, like, Glorfindel and what have you. But when they get... to, So they get chased all the way to the Ford of Bruinen, right? And it's there that we see some quite overt magic from the Witch King, which you, you've not really... See. You don't really see much of in Tolkien. But then it goes back to what you said about, like, magic just being quite bad. But Frodo's got the, the blade in his shoulder. Like, he, he needs fucking healing. Glorfindel gives Frodo his horse as a way to get away. And they all chase them. Um, but the Witch King makes a curious gesture when Frodo draws his sword and shatters it in his hand, which is uh, ooh, it's very weird. And then straight after that, we see some elf magic when, as soon as the Nazgul go across the water, they, um, they they get swept away in the fords. And I think I remember from like fucking way back when, like over a year ago now, with our. Fellowship of the Ring episode about why evil spirits can't cross water. And it's just a very common folklore mm. thing about evil not being able to cross running water. And it, it, it leaks through like into modern fantasy. So we've got it here with the Nazgul. Then, I hate to bring it up again, but Harry Potter, like you can't operate across large bodies of water. So it's stuff like there's something about magic and water that doesn't quite mix.
1: Which is weird because in like ghostiness... Water is like a... Isn't it like a conduit type? It's like used. It can, it can kind of transport. I don't um, know. Apparitions or messages. I don't know. You know, like um, dowsing.
0: Oh, like dowsing rods and that. Yeah.
1: Thing. I don't know.
0: But uh, you might be interested to learn about this bit. When they all get swept away, they are, their clothes are destroyed.
1: Ooh. And, and so are their horses. Yeah.
0: So what happens here is the Witch King... A big
1: orgy. <laughs> Roman times. Let
0: me in, I'm trying to fuck. So what happens is the Witch King takes the only surviving horse and says to everyone else, "Like I'll be back. And <laughs> just get me outfit. No, no, so he, he, go, he takes the last horse and he goes back to Mordor and then he sends help back north to get the other eight. Nazgul, cool because they get swept away in the river and just get absolutely wrecked and then they're on foot because the horses are just they're being killed right so then we skip forward as we we don't see much more because they they are now getting ready for war as well well yeah they're getting ready for war so in march of 3019 the last days of the war of the ring minas morgul was emptied of its armies and the move to attack osgiliath and the pelennor fields before minas tirith was under siege and no enemy like the Witch-King had ever assailed Minas Tirith. And he sends out Grond, like the massive hammer. Grond! Yeah. Grond! And it's it's like it's emboldened or strengthened by his magics. And it breaks open the gates of Minas Tirith. And there is a quote, a pa- well, there's a passage from the book I'd like to read you. And it says, In rode the lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond, he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the Lord of the Nazgul under an arch, the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face, all save one. There, waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. Shadowfax, who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror, unmoving, steadfast as a graven image in wrath, the daemon. "You cannot enter here," said Gandalf. "'and the huge shadow halted. "'Go back to the abyss prepared for you. "'Go back! "'Fall into the nothingness "'that awaits you and your master. "'Go!' "'The black rider flung back his hood, "'and behold, he had a kingly crown, "'and yet upon no head visible was it set. "'The red fires shone between it "'and the mantled shoulders vast and dark. "'From a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. "'Old fool!' he said, Old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that, he lifted high his sword and flames ran down the blade. Now this bit's interesting, right? Because who knows what would have happened if the Witch King and Gandalf fought. Because Gandalf did exactly the same things to the Balrog. Mm. And the Balrog kind of seemed halted by it for a little bit. It kind of, like it kind of worked, like the bridge broke and, and what have you. But we don't ever find out because at that point the Rohirrim arrive. It's at that exact moment that the horns blare and you hear the Rohirrim. And in the film, it's to the best music ever. And when we see the concert, you'll see that, and you'll probably see me weep like a child. Um, but what another thing I wanted to find I wanted to say interesting here is that. When Gandalf says, go back to the abyss prepared for you, go back, fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. That's Gandalf essentially saying the plan for you is the abyss. It's The abyss that Morgoth is in. And I think, I can't remember what episode I mentioned it in, but about like the afterlife in Middle-earth. I think it was hell, actually. Hell in Middle-earth about being cut off from creation entirely. So at some point it's probably the Nazgul, Sauron and Morgoth in the fucking void. Just doing nothing. But anyway, he takes off immediately from Gandalf. Like he just he goes away from Minas Tirith because he realizes that Theoden is a big threat. So he mounts his fell beast and he attacks Theoden. Theoden's horse catches a dart in its side and crushes Theoden under it. So Eowyn, one of the best characters ever, hands down, like such a well-written character. She fights over Theoden's corpse, like over his body, and she kills the fell beast and gets her arm broken for her troubles. And then Merry stabs the Witch King in the back of the leg with the sword he was given by Tom Bombadil. So the sword made and buried with the Prince of Cardolan by the Dúnedain specifically to fight the Witch King has found its way at the battlefield in Gondor, the Pelennor, where Merry, who is not a man, and Eowyn, who is not a man, stab him. So Merry stabs him in the back of the leg.
1: Thank you, Tolkien.
0: Merry, uh, Merry stabs him in the leg. And then Eowyn stabs him right in the face, ending him. And it said in a footnote of letter 246 written by Tolkien that the Witch King had been reduced to impotence as opposed to dying. So I think that's exactly what happens to Sauron and Saruman, where they're left either to, to consign to the Abyss or the Void like Mordoroth, or they're left to wander the world as shadows, unable to act. And it's through this that the prophecy for the death of the Witch King of Angmar is fulfilled because... The broad strokes are that a woman, who was not a man, and a hobbit, who was not a man, kill the Witch King of Angmar.
1: So beautiful.
0: And I would like to, to end with another passage from the books, which Eowyn says Begone, foul Dwimelech, Lord of Carrion, leave the dead in peace. A cold voice answered Come not between the Nazgul and his prey, or he will not slay thee in thy turn. He will bear thee away to the houses of lamentation, beyond all darkness, where thy flesh shall be devoured, and thy shriveled mind be left naked to the lidless eye. A sword rang as it was drawn. Do what you will, but I will hinder it, if I may. Hinder me, thou fool! No living man may hinder me. Then Merry heard of all the sounds in that hour the strangest. It seemed that Dernhelm laughed in the clear voice, was like the ring of steel. But no living man am I. You look upon a woman, Eowyn. I am Eowyn's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone, if you be not deathless. For living are dark undead. I will smite you if you touch him. Then the winged creature screamed at her, but the ring where it wraith made no answer and was silent, as if in sudden doubt.
1: And you that. really need to stop smoking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and that's uh, that that's how he ends, which I just i I enjoyed researching this episode there is a fuckload of history in this one yeah my god you kind of think that like
1: this is what I'm here for the history
0: <laughs> the the history but it's, it's mental like he spanned that long like he's at least like four thousand years old, something yeah, like that. three four thousand years old, which is a long time. When when we got to the point f- that the where the Battle of Fornost, where fornos falls, and then eäno goes to Minas Morgul, and you realise there's still a thousand years until Aragorn becomes king of Gondor and Arnor. It's just like boom, it's fucking crazy, and no wonder the Shire gets forgotten if it was in Arthedain. Which was Arnor, which was then splintered into the three, like you know, splintered into the three kingdoms. Then falls. Then the line of kings is broken. Yeah, no wonder it's no wonder the Shire goes undiscovered for so long. Nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah, it was great, but yeah, how, how do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel about your knowledge of the Witch King of Angmar
1: after that? I still am clinging onto the fact that he could totally just be free, single ready to mingle naked all of the time.
0: Like he's hanging dong. Yeah, but he's
1: mm. he's very true and noble and he wears his clothes. I also think it's a beautiful moment that a woman defeats him and also a hobbit. But I think he's also incredibly knowledgeable about uh, war strategy. It's quite impressive. I, I've got a lot of respect for him in terms of he... He's clearly where he is because of the knowledge that he has, which is, you, you can only respect that. You can't knock that whatsoever.
0: Well, it's its like, it's like the Special Forces, kind of like Sauron Special, because he was already great amongst men before he became a ring wraith.
1: Yeah. Right? And also, it would be interesting to know why he chose not to go on to the halls of mandos
0: i don't know if by that point he'd have been utterly under sauron's will and dragged into the wraith world anyway so like you'd be there almost but against is will. it
1: because you've been convinced or is it no. because you already have some sort of badness in you and you kind of just like just need another little tug to
0: <sighs> i don't know that's up for debate because regardless of whether you're good or evil in the beginning sauron's
1: grasp will get
0: you yeah get you if he's got the ring So you could've like it's And he might have approached him. Do you know what in fact no no in fact it's uh, it's already answered for us. Gandalf says when he's offered the one ring by Frodo, Gandalf says that I would take it with a view to do good.
1: Yeah, bad intentions. Through
0: me it would wield a power too terrible. Yeah. So it's exactly like that. Like the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So he
1: could potentially have been a Gandalf character. He if might, each yeah. had a different path. so it, it
0: could it could have been as simple as, right, he was a, a noble king or someone from a royal line who was offered a, an innocent gift of a nice, beautiful jeweled ring by Anatar, what Sauron called himself at the time, Anatar, Lord of Gifts, saying he is this gift on behalf of the Valar, and you just took it and then all yeah, of a sudden... Hooked. Yeah, hooked. Exactly. Like a
1: heroin addict.
0: I've got a riddle for you. What do the Witch King of Angmar and Ents have in common?
1: They're like sticking the fingers in holes, I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, is it not as ex- exciting as that?
0: Um, I, argue, I don't know, I think it's quite exciting. That they both come from Macbeth, or suspiciously, oh, Macbeth. a suspicious amount of things come from Macbeth. So,
1: Did you make that up just because I'm going to see Macbeth?
0: No, I didn't know you were going to see Macbeth. Right, the prophecy that the witch king would fall not by the hand of man, and the fulfilment of the prophecy occurring on a technicality, i.e. like being killed by a woman and a hobbit. Um, this is from Tolkien Gateway, bears a striking resemblance to the prophecy regarding the title but regarding Macbeth, where it says that Macbeth will be slain not by a man born of woman, and then killed by Macduff, who was from a Caesarean section. And then this is also very similar to our end episode, where Tolkien was annoyed with the idea that there was that prophecy about the, the trees or the, the, the trees of the certain forest, killing someone. And it was because the, the the enemy soldiers had hid behind the branches that they'd cut off of the trees and moved with them. So, yeah, that's two, two, two parts of Tolkien, Lord of the Rings-type things that come from Macbeth, alleged, well, a suspicious part of it comes from Macbeth. But, I don't know, like, is it? it's not really suspicious if, it, if it's Shakespeare, is it? You know, I can't really fault anyone for that. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that is... Uh,
1: been a long one but a good one
0: it's been a good one Aye, it's been a lot of history it's been a lot of history there been, yeah i've really
1: good. enjoyed this one. Oh, good good good
0: there's been um there's been a bit of demand for this one it's been yeah there's been a few people like people who don't know each other or, or, or anything like that who've messaged saying like i want to hear more about the witch king and, and stuff like that so uh i think he's a, it, it's a strong guy yeah do you, do you know more about him now than you did at the start definitely good so right uh we're gonna wrap up here like i said go check out the link in the bio donate to my fundraiser if you can it's open till september so don't feel any immediate pressure because you know you might be like i want to see how this turns out fat boy i want to see what kind of miles you're putting in absolutely i would urge you to go and look at the just given page anyway because you'll see my uh, my training runs pop up because uh, start strava sinks the activities and i think it i think it keeps the total count of the miles i've run while training so that should be pretty cool and then hopefully on the day, it fucking jumps up by another 13.
1: Well, you did that run, didn't you? Where I, you
0: I, I did one yesterday. You,
1: yeah. No, but I'm meaning you did that, like... Where oh. you had to run, like, the Shire or something.
0: Oh, the... Um, I'm still doing that, the Conqueror Challenge. Yeah. I did, I did the Shire one, and I'm now on the next bit to, to Moria. And it's fucking long, because I... There's a story mode where you can just do, like, the abridged version. I was like, no, fuck that I want the full one, so it's like yeah. a thousand kilometres or something. Anyway, right... Uh, yeah, so let us know what you thought about the episode. Let us know if there's anything I've missed, anything that you have questions about.
1: Let me know if I have to drink less wine <laughs> next time.
0: Yeah, come and find me on Instagram. You can see uh, all the shitty memes I post, some law stuff, just have a good chat. There's a lot of people who come and just chat to me on Instagram, which is really nice. But yes, so uh, for this week, it has been a good one. So I am out. So that's goodbye from me, Chris.
1: And report. <laughs> Goodbye from Becca. <laughs> I Bye. can't even speak <laughs> Bye